Welcome to today's energy show. It's my pleasure to welcome Vic Shao, CEO of Green Charge Networks. They reduce electricity costs for commercial customers. Basically, the way they do it is they have hardware and they have software that intelligently controls battery storage and PV to, to minimize the demand charges. And you're probably familiar with electricity energy charges. That's like dollars per kilowatt hour. But commercial customers have big power charges or demand charges, and it's measured by dollars per kilowatt. So um, you get a big spike in power at a commercial building or an industrial facility when a motor turns on or something or the peak air conditioning. And, and that creates a tremendous spike in demand. And then the electricity companies bill you for that. And it can be half of the, the monthly bill or more. And Green Charge Networks has solutions that help companies reduce these big demand charges. So welcome to the show, Vic. Thanks for having me. All right, good, good. Well, this is a, a topic that's, um, that people may not know about, but there's some big benefits when it can be solved. Tell me a little bit more about the products at Green Charge Networks. So it is a lithium-ion-based solution and uh, coupled with very fancy software algorithms that we have developed over the last several years. And what it does is it predicts uh, when the peaks in a facility is going to hit, and it very intelligently and in a very real-time fashion offset those peaks by discharging energy from the, bar- the uh, lithium-ion battery stack. So essentially, that's how it works, and it does it very consistently. The way that demand charges are assessed, the highest 15-minute usage in the building is what sets the demand for the whole month. So in other words, we our software can't even screw up for 15 minutes. So, and and how can you, are, do you have sensors that are um, on, on the, the, the utility meter or on the, um, the circuit breaker panel to see what that demand charge is so that you can react to it? That's correct. We have uh, CT, current transformers, clamped around the main circuit. So whatever the utility meter is measuring, we are measuring as well on a second-by-second basis. Okay, and then so you've got some software that's watching that, that current, and then when it gets, like, you know, 20 seconds of a spike, you say, all right, we better turn the batteries on so that it doesn't spike for 15 minutes, and then that reduces that demand charge. You got it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Tell me a little bit physically about the equipment. We'll go into the software later. So you've got stacks of lithium-ion batteries and a control system. Where do you locate that? Indoors or outdoors. The, uh, the, the module is NEMA 3R outdoors rated, but we have sited and placed these into facilities both indoors and outdoors. Okay. All right. So, so that's, that's kind of how the hardware works. Tell me a little bit more about wh- where does the software live? Is, are they, is it on your servers or is it on a server locally? Is it in firmware? How does that work? We place the software, the computer system, right at the site as well. Uh, however, it does connect to our server in real time. And every once in a while, the, uh, you know, it uploads data to our server, and actually that happens uh, pretty near real time. You know, every 30 seconds, every minute it does that. Uh, and in the other direction, the server also pushes updates to the remote client as well. So uh, new algorithms as it's required, new subpoints as it's required. The way that the utility assesses demand charges uh, in a given day, especially in the summertime, uh, you know, there are three subpoints. There is the midday, you know, on-peak period from noon to six, 
There is the shoulders, you know, the part peak uh, periods on either side of that, and then there is the off peak. So, um, so we actually have different set points for the different times of the day, you know, time of use uh, periods. Um, the whole game is to get the maximum economic benefit out of the battery stack. I mean, batteries cost money, and software doesn't. So that's the whole game of uh, of our algorithm. That's that's a that that's a good game. I mean, you look at the gross margin on software and the gross margin on on hardware, and it's 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 really really different. So so what's involved? I'm just kind of jumping ahead, but what, what's involved for a, a business, an industrial facility, or commercial building? Say we want to we want to get started with this. Um, how how does that process work with you guys? So we offer what we call a power efficiency agreement, a contract financing instrument with the host customer, and it's very much so like a sort of PPA. And what it does is, uh, what we do is we uh, we cover the upfront equipment cost. Green Charge Networks also covers the installation, and uh, we we put the system into the host facility at no cost to the end customer. I mean, there is literally no upfront capital commitment. There is no uh, installation charge. The customer does not carry technology risk or installation risk. And really, for that matter, all that the, the only risk they have is just a plot of space or equipment is sitting on. And we, uh, we contract the customer for the next 10 years and month after month, they're literally just pocketing savings, and we are splitting that savings with them on a pro rata basis. So that's that's a good idea. So really no big risk to the customer. The only thing you have to do is explain what a P- PEA is. I remember the solar industry, it took like five or six years to finally get everybody to understand what a PPA is. But it makes, it makes a lot of sense, and it really uh, reduces the friction that's involved in kind of getting started. So in terms of the savings that you're addressing, it's pretty much just on the KW demand, the, the power. Are you doing anything with power factors or anything in terms of saving kilowatt hours? No, we are very much the focus on the demand side of the customer's bill. Uh, I mean, yes, energy storage does solve a lot of different problems, but for a emerging, you know, upstart company, uh, we just have to be laser focused on what we do, and uh, and demand charges is is exactly what we do. Yeah, that makes sense. So, tell me a little bit about your typical customers. Sure things. So, uh, retail. Uh, you know, cities, municipalities, schools, university campuses. Um, it is pretty much everything and, and anything that you can think of on the commercial business side. So it sounds like a lot of those facilities have, it sounds like mostly air conditioning peak demand, right? As opposed to an industrial facility that's turning on a motor or something. Well, it's a mixture of both. And, um, you know, it, it's lighting, uh, elevator loads, if you believe it, EV charging loads. Um, and also, you know, for the semi-industrial facilities that have a lot of motor loads, I mean, those are really particularly well-suited for our application because the, the large motors drive, you know, big spikes in the facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess it also helps, at least for anything related to air conditioning or climate or usage patterns to... to um to, to, to focus on things that your software can predict as opposed to some kind of unpredictable uh, industrial process where they might, you know, hey, tonight we're turning this thing on and you might not know about it. Our system thrives in chaos, if you believe it, because it is, um, it, it, because 
you know, I, I, the building controls uh, industry has uh, has has really attempted in the past to tell the customers, hey, you know, let's try to coordinate all of your loads and don't have you know all five motors running at the same time. Try to you know try, try to coordinate it so that only two or three of them run at the same time, and that way you save in demand. But I think what the industry has learned over time is that it's it's inherently it's inherently unpredictable. I mean, the business is going to do what the business is going to do, and revenue generation is a lot more important for uh, for our customers than savings. Right, so our whole value proposition to the customer is that we don't interrupt uh, your operations. We don't um, we we don't tell you to change your behaviors, and our system just runs silently in the background without having any effects on your operations. Yeah, that that makes sense. I like the the phrase. Uh, the system thrives on chaos. As as long as you can kind of watch for that spike with your software, then you can react to the chaos. Um, more effectively than trying to use building controls to predict that cycle. That makes total sense. That's pretty cool. Who who actually does the physical installations? Do you have teams that do this, or do you subcontract that work out? We do subcontract that work out, um, although, you know, in the early days, we do have to make sure that it's done correctly. But, uh, but we subcontract the work to local contractors uh, wherever we can. Um, really, the only thing that's involved uh, on, uh, on our project is it's not very unlike a solar installation. You know, you just, you just pipe in the AC connection into the inverter and you uh, clamp uh, measurements uh, you know, around the main circuits in the building, and that's it. So it's not very unlike a solar installation. Just give me a, uh, an idea, kind of, you know, maybe in terms of cubic feet or kilowatt hours. How many? How much battery storage do you put in? It depends on the, what the facility load is. So um, we typically try to tackle a quarter of the facility's demand, and uh, and our and our system is modularized so that we can add in as little uh, or as much as the facility requires. Okay. So so how? I know there's no typical customer, just like there's no typical solar customer. But you know, just just say for a a commercial building, how big a concrete pad do they need for the batteries? And you know, is it, how many kilowatt hours are, are in those batteries? Maybe you can measure it in terms of uh, Teslas, um, which is eighty five kilowatt hours. Sure. So the um, so so the batteries are we we try to tackle a quarter of the facility's demand. So, uh, and our system is modularized so that we can add as much as or as little as the facility requires. Okay. All right. All right. Good. And and then let, let's just say hypothetically, I, I don't know if you have these numbers out there, but um, for a typical system, I know there's no such thing as a typical system, but like how much would it have cost for your customer to buy that system versus you know, the fact that they're now able to get it basically for, for free through a PEA. So the ROI on our system is typically from anywhere from as low as two years to, you know, to five years. So the payback is actually in a lot of cases much better than solar. Yeah, that, 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 makes, that makes total sense. And, and I guess for, for your system, the hard costs really are mostly in, in the cost of the batteries. And then, you know, you've got teams of people doing the software that kind of keep up with that. You, you mentioned solar. Does, does rooftop solar fit into this? Is that something that you would include in your PEA or do you kind of keep that separate? 
We keep that separate. Um, we actually partner up with a lot of solar developers, and we do a project with you know solar as well as storage. Okay, okay. So kind of what's enabling your business model, which is really good, is the fact that these utilities have demand charges, and they're, they're just so expensive, and they're not going away. And, and in some cases, they're even... The utilities are starting to emphasize those demand charges even more now that companies are putting in more solar. How, how do you interface with the local utility kind of on a uh, on a rate basis? Do, do you have good relations with the utilities, or are they kind of looking at you guys um, uh, at least initially as they do the solar industry, which is, oh, they're cannibalizing some of our revenues? Good question. Um, and it is um, a little bit of, of an interesting dynamic. I mean, the California utilities have been told by uh, by the PUC to install storage in a 1.3 gigawatt hours worth by the year 2020. So in a way, they have to do it. Um, and they are and they're playing along nicely with us in the meantime. Um, but it depends on really who you speak to at the utility. Some of them do feel like, you know, that the revenue is going down and, you know, this is not a good thing for the utility. But if you look at this at a, uh, at a top level, uh, you know, 30,000 feet level, what we essentially doing is help is increasing the efficiency in the distribution grid. We're allowing more juice to flow through the hardware assets, utility hardware assets, you know, transformers and big feeder lines uh, than it would normally accommodate. So if you look at it from that perspective, it is good for everybody. Yeah, the utility is on down. Yeah, it's uh, in that regard. I think it's very, very similar to solar. You're you're kind of um, producing that power in a distributed fashion, so that they don't need more infrastructure. Um, the way that a lot of the utilities view it at at the very highest level, you know, let's even talk about from the investor level, is the utilities get a rate of return based on their their infrastructure assets. So. You know, the CEO of a utility is going to say, gee, you know, we could either put in new generating capacity or, or transmission distribution equipment, or the customers can put in a green charge network system. And um, the utility is going to say, oh, you know, we, we would rather get the, those um, assets rather than green charge networks. But you're kind of able to, to dance around on the edges there and help the customers and, and help um, citizens and uh, not necessarily help the utilities. So that'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. What, what about, I know the California utilities may be supportive. How about utilities in other states? How does that work? So, um, so New York also, Connecticut and New York also has a, uh, also has a battery uh, program for putting energy storage into the grid. Uh, I mean, I, you know, Texas, uh, you know, there is uh, there, there is interest from Encore to put in energy storage into the Texas grid. And I think this I think there's there's going to be a lot more uh, to come in the year 2015 as, you know, states and utilities wake up to to, to the need for, for this. Do you or is there an industry association or do you do lobbying kind of to, to help convince the state PUCs that this kind of distributed storage is very valuable? Well, California is leading the charge, if you will, on uh, for, for energy storage. And the PUC has been very active in, uh, in mandating change. Um, and the Californian Association is an organization called uh, CISA, California Energy Storage Alliance. And they have been uh, very, very effective in 
uh, getting all the stakeholders together and and uh, and having a conversation about the greater good for the Californian uh, grid and uh, and putting policies in place to make it happen. Yeah, it sounds very, very much like the solar industry was like a dozen years ago when you know we had organizations that started to to very actively lobby the 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 state and the PUCs to put favorable solar policies in place. And we need the exact same thing for for storage. That's kind of that's pretty cool. What, what about do you see any changes in utility rate design that would would help you guys? The rate design. So right, yeah. So a lot of the rates currently are favorable to to us and and i say that because the demand charges are so are so high if i give you an example um in san diego um there is the regular altlu tariff rate for commercial industrial customers of course and it's already fairly significant as you know around 30 dollars per kilowatt um in san diego they also have a supplemental a tariff rate for folks that buy electricity from SDG&E. Uh, the supplemental tariff is called EECC. And um, the EECC tariff in January of this year was $5 per kilowatt supplemental. And by August of this year, it jumped up to $10 per kilowatt. So in a span of uh, eight months, you know that supplemental tariff went up by 100%. And it's in it's uh in what SDGE assesses. Um SDGE as I understand is also recently um turning October into a summer month as well. So the you know, in the summer peak times, uh, when you add it all together, it's forty two dollars per kilowatt. Wow. And San Diego is currently has the highest demand rate uh in the country. And S D and and Southern Cal Edison is not too far behind. Yeah, well, Edison is at forty dollars per kilowatt. Right yeah, well, now. with global warming, every month is going to be a summer month. But that forty-two dollars yeah. a kilowatt. So ha, let, let's just talk about what would what would that mean? I mean, do you have that? That would be forty-two dollars per kilowatt per month for going into some kind of peak demand. What? How, how many kilowatts would they be using? Are they using like a a hundred extra kilowatts? Is is are we talking about like forty two hundred dollars worth of demand charges, or do some customers have a lot more than that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, for a uh, retailer with sell grocery stores, you know, with a hundred uh, kilowatts of peak demand, they get charged for that month forty two hundred bucks. You know, not in energy that they consume, but it's if you will, the how large the pipe is connected to their building. And it's really akin to, uh, you know, to paying more for faster Internet access, right? So um, so a lot of people think that it's unfair that, you know, it's not, they get charged for not energy that they consume, but just simply how, how large that pipe is. If you will, yeah, and and when they need it, so that's that's where your value value proposition is to companies where you've got those really big, you know, you're gonna you're gonna help them. They're they're paying five thousand dollars extra a month, and you can help reduce that significantly at you know no cost, and that that's kind of a no brainer decision for them. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah. Um, you know, it seemed to me that there might be some synergies with electric vehicles. Any plans for connecting to EV charging systems or maybe controlling EV charging systems to keep a company from charging up all their cars at uh, 9.02 in the morning when employees arrive at work? 
Yeah, very good point. Um, we do a lot of work with the EV charging community. Uh, in fact, we, we have a publicly announced partnership with NRG's EVGO division. And the idea is to do exactly that, you know, is, is to <clears throat> reduce peak demand that's caused by EV chargers. And, um, and in a lot of cases, um, the EV charging community is having trouble putting up EV chargers because of the demand that it's creating for the host customers. And that's the problem that we come in to solve for them. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not only the demand, but the, well, it's part of the demand, but it's also the fact is they just don't have enough thick wires going to the facility. And, and you know, they don't have big wires going to the parking lots. They don't have big wires going into the building. And, and that's expensive. That's really expensive to change. Um, any plans for a residential system? And, and I guess that would be um, dictated by whether or not there's going to be demand charges for residential customers. Do you see that happening anywhere in the country yet? It may make sense in places like Hawaii, where, you know, the cents per kilowatt hours is, is fairly astronomically high. Um, but in the continent of U.S. anyway, the uh, it, economically speaking, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to put it in an energy storage system. Now, there could be a need for, you know, critical low panels and such um, you know, to have power backup for a critical load. And you know resiliency applications and the like, but from a pure economic standpoint, uh, res- you know, energy storage currently doesn't make sense for residential customers. Yeah, in- unless they were to start changing the rates to put a demand charge f- um, com- component of a residential bill in, in addition to the energy charge, which you know wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see that to start to happen. Right. Although um, I would say that there is a lot more lobbying on the residential side than there is on the commercial side, and I think it's going to be a pretty tough battle to 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 institute you know demand for for residential. Yeah. Well, it, it's a good, really really good point because the solar industry would hate to see that happen um, because that's going to you know kind of make more of a fixed charge rather than energy charge. Boy, there's there's just so much change happening in this industry, and it's encouraging to see that that you guys have have found a, a, a niche and growing it into a bigger market segment to really help businesses reduce their their electric bill, which which um, everybody except for the utilities wants to see happen. Um, if if uh, anybody's interested in in your products, a commercial building, an industrial facility, how would they get in touch with Green Charge Networks? Uh, well, we are, we are certainly uh, easy to approach and open for business. So. Um, we, you know, we have uh, sales representatives all throughout California, um, and uh, and we, you know, we're just a phone call or an email away. All right, that that that's great. And and what's your website? Greencharge.net. Greencharge.net. Okay, that's terrific. Okay, well, that's all the time we've got uh, on this week's Energy Show. I, I learned a lot, and I hope the listeners did also. Thanks, Vic, for joining us today. And if anyone missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. <laughs>